Thank you for each of the musicians today helping us truly worship the Lord in song that way. That was awesome. Amen. Our scripture reading will be in Matthew 25. We'll start in verse 14. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew 25, and we'll look at first at verse 14. For it will be like. That word if takes us back to the very first verse of this chapter. The kingdom of heaven will be like. All right? So we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And you know as this parable unfolds, the property owner, the master, gives to his slaves, his servants, some talents to use. One five, one two, and one one. He goes away for a long time, we read in verse 5, and then, uh, not verse 5, excuse me, uh, a little bit later on, we'll see that, uh, verse 19, for a long time. Then he returns, and we read in verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much enter the joy of your master enter the joy of your master and he also who had the two talents came forward saying master you delivered to me two talents here I have made two talents more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord, would you guide us in understanding your truth in a whole new way? We've, we've heard this parable many times before, and we focus on the work of caring for these talents and that's a good focus, and we, we think of the well done, and we do long to hear the well done. But Lord, guide us today in understanding this entrance into the joy of the Master, this kingdom of heaven that you invite us to because of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that your gospel would motivate us today to live for heaven. Because of what you've done for us, Jesus Christ, and your love and the promise that you give us, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Lord, may that motivate, may that give us purpose and perspective through this life to live for what's next. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've been drawn to do this sermon series this summer as a church family through the month of June and maybe some into July. We'll see how this goes. Uh, to answer this quandary, how in the world... Can we endure these times, these times that we're living in today? It's always been a sinful world, and it gets worse and worse all the time, it seems. But we live in some uniquely difficult times. There's sickness 
There's wickedness. May I say it this way? There's weirdness. And there's meanness abounding. How do we make it through this? Well, I believe for the believer, as as this text opens up to us and we see what Jesus is emphasizing, I believe that for us as believers, everyone who's a believer will find two very helpful things, two great helps. And one of the last things Jesus did in his earthly ministry to help us to gain perspective and to identify our purpose and why we're alive, I believe that Jesus had some reasons for how he taught toward the end of his time in his ministry here. And he taught extensively about heaven. In fact, if you'll open your Bible and you see chapter 24, Jesus is teaching. This is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's it's here in Matthew 24 and chapter 25. It's also in Mark 13. We'll come back to that. And it's in Luke chapter 21, the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, so the first part of this sermon, this teaching that Jesus had, Matthew 24, could be given this title, Readiness for Christ's Coming. And he is. Readiness for Christ's Coming. Look at verse 14. Chapter 24, verse 14. We read here, the end will come. So Matthew 24 addresses the question, when? And the answer is found in verse 36, verse 42, verse 44, and verse 15. And you'll see this on the screen here. In Matthew 24, verse 36, it's no one knows. And in verse 42, you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44, at an hour you do not expect. And again in verse 50, it's when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know. So when is the Lord's return? I don't know. It's complicated. Anybody have that figured out? If they do, don't listen to them. All right? It's very complicated. This much I do know, it's imminent. That means it could happen at any time. Everything that needs to happen prior to His coming has happened. The very next thing we look for is Christ's return. We've lost the appreciation for the imminence of His return. So Matthew 24 is saying to us, get ready. Oh, he may delay, as we see in chapter 25, verse 5, after a long time. All right? So it could be a while. He was delayed. It could be. So far, it's been about over 2,000 years he's delayed. But still, his imminent return is on. Be ready. That's chapter 24. Be ready. Matthew 25, so the chapter that we'll be looking at here in just a moment, Matthew 25, could be given this title, Realities About Heaven. The chapter begins with the parable of the ten virgins, and I'd encourage you to read through that and understand that this is a parable of warning. And here's the reality. The consequences of unreadiness are agonizing. Just read the parable. You'll understand what I'm talking about. There's nothing worse than being left out. The chapter ends with the parable of the sheep and the goats, and that deserves a whole separate section of study as well. Again, but Jesus is talking about the future, and God knows who the true believers are, and there is evidence for the true believers 
and you're looking for people with genuine needs, not scam artists, but people who are hurting, you're looking to help as a believer. That's your motivation, okay? There's a reason to do that. That's the parable of the sheep and the goats. But then in the middle of the chapter is this parable, after the parable of the ten virgins, this parable of the talents. So what's the point of this parable of the talents? It comes down to this. Grasp this. And the rest of the chapter opens up. And the rest of the study opens up when we get this. There are, there are some good reasons for the parable of the talents, and that's the way that the Christ teaching is. There are so many different ways you can look at it and apply it and go, oh, that's true. I think because of the context, this is about future things. This is about the kingdom of heaven. Because of the context, I believe a very important application of this parable is this. It causes us to think about heaven. Just as we've been singing one day, it will be worth it all. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's causing us to think about heaven. It's good for us to stop and think about heaven. A.W. Tozer said this, Let no one apologize for the powerful emphasis Christianity lays upon the doctrine, the scriptural teaching of the world to come. Right there lies its immense superiority to everything else within the whole sphere of human thought or experience. We do well to think of the long tomorrow. Heaven is forever. Heaven is real. You know, I wonder if there's a mentality that thinking about heaven is something that old people do. Those old people. You know, they, they've already lived life. There's nothing more to look forward to. They don't have any other abilities, so all they do is sit around and go, Oh, heaven. Our problem is we're here, and it seems like our life is so long, and it's forever, and we have so much to look forward to, and so many things we want to get excited about, and, and so many other things we don't, you know, we just, it's... We get distracted from it. It's sort of like uh, trying to get a two-year-old to eat his veggies thinking it's a good thing. just doesn't see that. But it is good for him. And it's good for us to think on heaven. So how do we get motivated to think about heaven? Well, that's the point of the parable of the talents and entering the joy of the Lord. Think about that. Entering the joy of the Lord. Jesus says these words. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Matthew 25, 21. Can you quote that with me as we read it together here? Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The parable here, as we've said, is, is it's known as the parable of the talents. Um, 
slaves were entrusted with their master's possessions to make more of them. A slave's commission was to improve his master's assets. So we're thinking of talents as assets. Note this word talent, talaton. How do you use that word in that culture in our language? Well, they just kind of transliterated it into talent, talaton. It is not an ability. We think of talents as you can play a cello or play an organ or or you can run real fast or you can shoot a basketball, all these different talents. Uh, But here, the talent is a unit of of a weight for measurement. It's a weighty thing. What's it worth? What's its weight? It's worth its weight in gold. (laughs) Probably a lot. We know that a denarius was one day's pay. And we know from studying history and archaeology that a talent was 6,000 days wages. So a denarius was what you would make in a day. Multiply that by 6,000 or about 20 years of work. That was one talent. And so today it might be close to a million dollars if it's silver. And if that, go- if that talent is gold, it's probably much more than that, more like $20 million per talent. So this slave was given a talent, at least a million, maybe $20 million. Let's go with $20 million because this was a very wealthy master. And, and he's saying, I'm going to give you five of these. So $100 million to invest to do something with it. It's described here as something small. We'll get back to that. So we see here that this is a, a story of a significant investment of something here that is small that later will be so much bigger. Try to imagine that. It's so much better than we can imagine. These are slaves. Uh, in this culture, in the Roman world, um, it's very common. It was all throughout their culture, slavery. It wasn't just somebody helping out. It was someone who was owned as a slave. It was all races, all kinds of reasons why they were slaves. Many times there was a bankruptcy or something went wrong, and so they were indebted, and so they had to become slaves. So people that had great gifts in, in, in all kinds of different ways were, were thrown into slavery, and so they were charged with helping their master be successful using their abilities. So the job here was to put their master's money to work. How? Well, it wasn't just throwing it into the stock market and hoping it'll grow that way. They had to go out and work hard figuring out how to create jobs, how to cre- buy farms and, and, and hire people and get all the equipment and, or, or, or buy the cattle and how to, how to work them so that they would, they would multiply. And then they had to figure out ways to move this product. And so they had, they had transportation systems using camels uh, up and down the highways to Egypt and, and all the way to Babylon and all over the places. There were ways to make money and to multiply. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master returned. And so the one who had been given five talents, let's think about like $100 million, made $100 million more. And the one who had two talents made two talents more. And there's a whole other application of this one who made one talent and just went and hid it. How much work would it take to hide a million dollars? 
you know. I mean, this wasn't paper money. I mean, it was, it was gold. Notice what the master says. Well done with the little bit. I'm going to set you over much. Come share in your master's happiness. So with that in mind, I want us to focus on this joy of the Lord and what does it refer to in this context. And pay close attention to that little word, enter, and the well done, and to the joy of your master, your master's happiness. May I, memor- may I urge you to memorize this verse and to just come back and meditate it again and again and again in the days ahead as you're trying to think and dwell on in your imagination, how great that will be and give you perspective for today and purpose for your life forever and all the way into glory. So two helpful realities here. The joy of the Lord is about our home. Home. Do you like to go home? For some people, going home isn't all that great because it's been a bad experience. Maybe there's stress there. Maybe there's abuse there. Maybe it's not a good thing. But for most, there's, it's, it's built in. We like to go home. After a long day's work, take off our shoes, put our feet up, big tall glass of iced tea, and uh, somebody's there to give you a back rub. And there's love there. You want to go home. What's home like for you? Just this last week, the NBA... Uh, had their championship series, and, and I was reading of this. Uh, uh, the star player for the Nuggets, uh, uh, Jokic from, is that the way you say his last name? Something close to that, from, from Siberia. Uh, they were interviewing him. He's the best player in the NBA at this time, and he's so good. And he's, he's, he can't jump, but he's a good ball player, all right? And, and he, he just, it just won the championship, and they're interviewing him and said, so what does it feel like? What are you feeling right now? And he said, I just want to go home. You long for home? Well, what's an amazing thing here is that the master says to the slave, come into my home. Heaven is God's home. And God says, come into my home, the place that you can, cannot imagine how good it is. Heaven is a place where God lives. Deuteronomy 26, verse 15. Deuteronomy 26, verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people. It's a holy habitation. It's heaven. Matthew 6, verse 9, we pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's where He sits on the throne and dwells in all His holiness. Revelation 4 and Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Heaven is where Christ came from, John 6, 42. Heaven is where Christ returned to, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. And so He will go in the same manner as He's gone into heaven. And heaven is where he is now and what he will bring to earth. Let me say that again. Heaven is where Jesus is now and what he will bring to earth. Now grasp that. Hang on to that. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 26. 
Jesus told us of this actual place that he is building that he will bring to us. And he has told us why. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to, where, to be with me that you also may be where I am. John 14, 2 and 3. So the Bible teaches that for Christians, our home is Christ's home in heaven where Christ is, where he takes it. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, yes, we are pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen? Are you looking forward to that? Notice that word present. In the New American Standard, I love this. In the New American Standard, we read, we are of a good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. You know why I like that translation? Because that's what that word is. It's the word to be at home with the Lord. That's what we look forward to. So when we enter heaven, we will immediately feel at home because instinctively we know this is what we've been longing for from day one. We're made to be at home in heaven, nowhere else. We're never going to feel at home here because we seek a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. We can anticipate heaven as home. The tragedy of the slaves in American history is horrendous. Uh, what happened there is just flat out wrong. And how people were treated. Um, by the way, I believe some of the greatest heroes in heaven will be those who were faithful to the Lord and their faith in Christ through that ordeal. The least will be the greatest. Jesus taught that. And we have some things we can learn from them with no possessions of their own and absolutely no power over their lives, they lived for another world in the midst of all that persecution. They lived for a better one. And the theme, the central theme that permeated their singing, their spirituals, they sang, soon I will be done with the troubles of the world. I'm going home to live with God. Home is with God. And then they sing, swing low, Sweet chariot, what? Coming forth to carry me home. Think of our entrance into home. Do a word study of this little word, enter. It's a great word study. It's like this. The welcome mat is put out there for you. And it's so welcoming to step in right now. Home, sweet home. It's walk right in, and not only walk right in, but stay here, live here with us. Welcome home. Come on in. It's, the, the door is open, and it's so good. The meal is on the table, welcoming you home. Last Sunday at noon, the meal preparation was almost done, and one of the grandkids had been over the church and came walking into the front door, across the home, sweet home, Matt at the front door, and, and one of the grand, grandkids piped up and said, it smells so good. Sunday dinner. In heaven, we will have feasts together. In fact, we read, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, the best of meats and the finest of wines, Isaiah 25, verse 6. And this will be an incredibly happy place. Jesus said that those who weep now on earth will laugh in heaven. Luke 6, 21. You shall laugh. 
Nothing will hinder our joyful laughter. Like a two or three-year-old just having a belly laugh because they're, they're so happy with, with the, the fun that they're having and with, 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 with the tickling match that's going on. And it's just happy, happy laughter. I'm not making this up. This is what heaven will be. You shall laugh. So when you think of heaven, think of delighted, infectious laughter around the table with those you love at home. Have I emphasized that enough? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he meant that literally, a place we call home. As Randy Alcorn says, he didn't say, I go to an indescribable realm devoid of physical properties where your disembodied spirit will float around and which is nothing at all like what you ever thought of as home. Heaven doesn't consist of us floating on a cloud with a harp with nothing better to do where all we think of is boring. It's home. But there's more. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on home. The joy of the Lord is about God's home. And the joy of the Lord is about God's work. You and I were created to work. The joy of the Lord is about our job. You have a job to do. Now and for all eternity. One of the things we were made for, as I said, was work. Even at creation, man was tasked with responsibility. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, or take charge of it, take care of it. And we are to take care of what we have around us. We're given responsibility. The master said to his servant, work. The master said to his slave, work. That's, that's a work relationship, somebody that you answer to for what you get accomplished. You are given work to do, and in heaven we will have work to do. What kind of work will that be? Hmm, let's use our imagination a little bit. I think it will be so good, there will be so much opportunity, more than you ever could dream of. But I believe what you learn to do here, you'll be able to use in a greater way there. For the gospel's sake. He's given us a great commission in all of our work to make much of Jesus Christ and make disciples who will follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Think about your work here and what God might be able to do that throughout the universe. The master said, I will set you over much. You will have much responsibility. I think the King James says, you will be rulers Think about that. This, this talent that was given, these talents that were given to these slaves, in our understanding of economics now, it'd be like $100 million. We think that would be a lot of responsibility. But here the text says that's very little. That's small. And in, in God's home, you'll be given much more than that to do. Not just floating around on a cloud. You have opportunity to do something that will make a difference for all eternity in God's heavenly kingdom. Uh, one of the things I will do when I'm just trying to get back to sleep and I can't get back to sleep, and so I'll look up some ar architectural videos or something or other on YouTube just, for, just to kind of zone out a little bit. And uh, I come across these 
these descriptions of these skyscrapers and, and what they're making in, in Saudi Arabia and Qatar and all these different places and different, you know, how buildings are made in New York City and Chicago and Chicago windows and, and all kinds of different, and you know, just, just having them go around just kind of, it's called boring and puts you to sleep. That's kind of the point, all right? And uh, I've been reading about this, a boldest of architectural endeavors, I think, ever, in our timeline, anyway, um, maybe since the Tower of Babel, I don't know, um, is there a connection? Uh, the city called the Line. How many of you have read about that? Uh, in Saudi Arabia, they're wanting to make a city of two towers, separated just by a little area between them, but the tower will be taller than the Empire State Building, you know what that is, but it will be continuous Two towers next to each other, continuous for over 100 miles, I think 110 miles, straight. And they're already constructing this, and they'd like to have a big part of it done by 230, just a few years away. So, and they're looking for, I think, 9 million people to live within these two towers, just going back. It seems crazy. Yeah. But they're doing it. And the idea is to look what we've built and look how we've made it so they're, we're, we're taking care of people and they're able to get around without having used a lot of oil and whatever. Massive construction. So think of that. A, a city 100 miles long, two towers built up, and they just keep on going for 100 miles. So not just a tower, but towers for 100 miles two times over. So that's the city called the Line in Saudi Arabia. You want to live there? Eh, not so much. <laughs> Everybody's going, no, I can, I can think of a whole lot better. But, but think of this. Picture this. The city gates of heaven are said to be always open. And the people will travel in and out from where to where. And apparently some will be bringing glorious items into the city. Revelation 21 verse 24, bringing their glory into it. The outside travel suggests that the city is not the whole of heaven, but the hub. There's more to it. And we're coming and going. You know, there's an innate desire within mankind. Again, I'm just saying, imagination, it's better than we can imagine. There's an innate desire, not only to be at home, but to travel the universe. We want to get out there and discover what else is out there. Right? How much have we not yet discovered? Let's go. Heaven. When we're made in the image of Christ, and we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. God will bring this city down to heaven. Jesus will bring heaven to this earth. It will be the new heaven and the new earth. A new creation, I, go, I don't have it all figured out, but I know what's been revealed, and it's so good, it's beyond imagination. And this city is 1,500 miles long, not just 100 miles long, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles tall on top of Israel. And we're coming and going from this city, serving God, bringing items to Him, and going. Where else? Could we be traveling to the stars, conducting God's business for His glory? 
using our skills that we have now in bigger ways than we could ever imagine? It seems like things we get excited about here is kind of puny compared to that, wouldn't you think? The gates will be at opposite ends of each other, 1,500 miles apart. And we read in Revelation 21, verse 16, the length and width and height of this city is is 1,500 miles or so. It will have access from every direction. Can you imagine what it will be like to live in that city and work there and serve God there at His throne at the river of life with everything we'll ever need and no sin, no darkness, no shame, no weirdness, no meanness because God is a just God on the throne. I can hear it. Enter the joy of the Lord. It's home. It's everything you could ever imagine it to be, and it's fulfilling. Work like you've wanted to work all your life. Anybody ever get frustrated with your work here? That's part of the curse. But work isn't the problem. The curse is the problem. And heaven will work, and it will be so much fun. Your Peter and Christ's words from Matthew 25 are still in your mind. And then you go out and you blow it bad. And yet you've been forgiven. And you're convinced of the fulfillment of the prophecy concerning the Messiah. He is risen and you've seen him go into glory. And he said, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit to witness of Christ, Acts chapter 2. We have all these things, friends. And you're hearing Christ's invitation, enter the joy of the Lord. That's motivating. What influences your life? What what affects your perspective? Is it the news? Is it the bad people around you? Is it the discouragements? Is it the fearful? Or is it the promise of home? Enter. Come on in. What What gives you meaning? What gives you purpose in life? Is it just to put something... So you can have some food on the table, or is it to live for eternity's values? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your life be also. We have so much to live for in heaven, and the work we will do will be beyond measure good. Get ready to work for Jesus. Amen? Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. I want to go home. I want to work like that. And I want to hear my Lord say, Well done. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus says that you're my children. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to live somewhere forever with Jesus at his home, serving him in his kingdom, and it will be worth it all. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
I'm begging you to consider more than just the present discouragements. I hope that you will live for the life that Jesus has offered through the shedding of his blood, his death, his resurrection, so that you and I might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what the Bible reveals about heaven is it's so good, so much better. It's better than you can ever imagine. Go ahead and imagine, but it's better than that. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Lord, wisdom is what you tell us is true and what we do with it and act upon that. Oh, God, change our perspective in this world that's so crazy and give us purpose that's beyond just this world but for all eternity. Help us to live for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of our God. Because of Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, we'll sing again.